0: Previously on the Tony Kornhazer
1: Show.
2: You're 100% right. He can only resign yep. and not even necessarily resign under pressure. That's and, right. you know, as much as I think that this season is evidence that it just didn't work, I have no ill will toward him. Like, I don't feel to him like I feel to Craig Escherich who just
3: stinks. Right. Right.
2: But uh, <laughs> it's just not working. You know, I, it, it's like my seventh grade girlfriend told me. It's just not working, Chris.
0: And uh, <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think...
2: Uh, Funny.
0: This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the
1: Tony Kornheiser Show. That was funny. That was really funny. I didn't see that coming. That was funny. <clears throat> we have a potpourri of things to talk about this morning before we get to guests. A few email I want to read. One from Claire Natola. Please thank your friend Lisa Robinson for me for recommending Il Posto Acanto on East 2nd Street as our favorite restaurant. My friend Steve and I dined there last week because of her suggestion. It was wonderful. Fabulous lasagna, delicious wine, charming company. What's not to love? A total home run. P.S. Who is from my hometown? The official rum-dum of the Tony Kornheiser show, Claire (laughs) Natola. That's it. That's the list. From Edmund Carey, who is the national president of the United Postmasters and Managers of America and is in Alexandria, Virginia, about my problem the other day when I was asked to give credit or debit, and I said, what about cash, at an office of the United States Federal Government. You know, really. And he writes, I checked, and that particular office had COVID-related absences recently. The person who served you did not have access to the cash box, and therefore could not give change. Excuse me. Now, as a big, I know you could have handed over a grant, or more appropriately, a Benjamin, like she was Jeff Ma, and said, keep the change, (laughs) as if but the only option she had was credit or debit. An explanation of that to you might have helped, but let's not kid ourselves, probably not. Next time I suggest shouting, representative, please consider allowing me to be the official Postal Service liaison of the Tony Kornheiser show. I know you spoke to Postmaster General Pat Donahoe, or Donahoe, I'm not sure how it's pronounced a few years ago, but hey, he's gone now. You know, she was wearing a mask, and it's possible I just did not understand what she said. I, I, I understand that. I was just stunned into disbelief that at a post office I could not use cash. And if that is the case, there should be a sign out front. Put a sign that says uh, no cash here because of COVID. Now, you might not have heard her because you're so busy ringing the bell. I rang the bell once. (laughs) once, And then she said, yeah, I know you're there. I'll be out in a minute. Okay, (laughs) great. And one more, and this is interesting, from David Nitka. This year I engaged in a radical betting strategy. I bet with Jeff Ma. And guess what? I made money. Well, of course you did. Jeff Ma was like 12 over. Yeah, did great. I thought surely the universe is laughing at me and this will all come to a crashing halt, and it never did. In the end, I made a ridiculous parlay of Jeff's Super Bowl picks, thinking surely this will rid me of my winnings. It had the opposite effect. I haven't told my wife. (laughs) In the interim, with this modest stash of doubloons, I want to make a charitable contribution with some of my winnings. Could you ask Jeff Ma if he has a preferred charity? Well, we could, but I don't want to wake him up. (laughs) You know, I just don't want to do that. (laughs) If I don't hear from you, I'll make a donation to the Washington, D.C. ASPCA in honor honor of the canine companions of the show, Chessie the Frisbee Eater and Rufus. This is fine. Yeah, that's lovely. You know, we're happy if you do that. Um, David, that would be very, very nice, and I'm glad you won. Couple of things to get to, Nigel. Very excited today about a giant bear. Is it in the Washington area or is it somewhere else? No, it's out in Lake Tahoe. Why it's, don't you explain? what Hank, is it Hank the Tank? Not Frank the Tank. No, from old school. <laughs> Frank the Tank.
4: Not Frank the Tank. <laughs> yes. Is yes. it so not Dewey the the fighting bear from um from Semi Pro? Right. This is Hank the Tank, a five hundred pound bear. Now he's lost his fear of humanity, um, and he knows where food is since August, they've reported 33 incidents of extensive property damage and 28 break-ins. And because he's such well, a— Well, maybe
1: they're just pinning it on him. You know, I mean, <laughs> the maybe skickle. that's unfair. Yeah, he's
4: a pretty big target. Well, you know? I think he's been seen at the scene. In fact, there was a story of the police 500 catching 500 pounds, is that's very big. Well, and so they've shot Bean—you know, they've tried to subdue him bean bags and traps and things like that. The last time he was in a house, the cops just banged on the side of the house until he left, which didn't... They should do what they do in Guantanamo, play ABBA. <laughs> just play nonstop yeah. ABBA. But it's very concerning because there's only three options, as they say. They can either relocate him, which I'm assuming would be Chicago... Which is a bear's natural habitat, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or they could find a sanctuary for him. Or they could form, kill him, which they, they don't could kill want to him, do. Which they don't want to do. And they shouldn't. And as they said, the, the, the worst line of it, the, the person who's sort of running this said, there's no fairy tale ending for this bear. You know, they, and they've got to stop him. And the bear knows what day traffic or, or, or um, trash day is. So yeah. they're like, trash day is coming up on Friday. Bears yeah. smarter than your average bear, <laughs> <laughs> right, Yogi <laughs> and Boo Boo? Yeah, smarter at, than your at, average at this bear. this wait, might, it might take care of itself naturally. Yes, it might. Yeah, yeah. He could have a heart attack. Yeah, it could be eating really bad cholesterol food and things like that. Michael, you have an
2: Amex follow. So, after you told your story, I get home and in the mail, I get a letter from American Express thanking me for my 36 (laughs) years. And please see the gift card below. And it's a link to a $100, you know, uh, towards a purchase. A, company, really a, a, a clothing company that we'll never use. And normally, when you check on these, you are like, so "Okay, we use 100, Johnny O, a hundred dollars yes. off." And and the sort of uh, the end the entry price is about fifteen hundred dollars. This was a this was workout clothing, but a very nice gesture. Not as nice as the uh, the two Tiffany champagne tell the people flutes. what you ordered for me. So there are three options. One was you could plant a tree. I'm planting a tree. Over I did that, that as a quickly. kid. We're not doing that. Uh, and then it was champagne <laughs> flutes and or throw blanket. I was yeah. I was initially leaning towards the throw blanket for mom, um, but no, you. One of the champagne flutes, yeah, rowers, well, baby.
1: So, so you think those
2: will show up at some point? They will show up. They will show up to this house, I believe. I'm
1: not sure if it auto auto populated to my address, <laughs> and if so, sorry. Uh, let us get to something very surprising in the news over the last week: the absolute splintering at the top of the golf tour. Uh, I cannot stress this enough for those of you who don't know golf. Even those of you who don't know golf or don't care about golf. You know the name Phil Mickelson. In the last 25 years, he is without question the second most important golfer in the world. Tiger is first. Phil is second. There is no third. There is no third. And Phil, over the last few years with those um, sort of gimmicked up matches that are fun to watch, Phil has continued to make himself... Very important on the tour, beyond the fact that he was a great golfer and is the only person ever to win a major beyond the age of 50. He's won seven majors. If there is any criterion at all for the Golf Hall of Fame, he's in it. He's one of the ten greatest golfers of all time, right, Michael? Yes. He's great. And over the last 25 years, more people know Phil Mickelson than know a lot of people who achieve things like winning Super Bowls. Okay, if you say Phil Mickelson and Joe Flacco, I think people are going to know Phil Mickelson. Well, Phil Mickelson was stumping for the Saudi Golf Tour. Phil Mickelson has a bone to pick, which he picks excessively with the PGA Golf Tour. He says the PGA Golf Tour is cheating the PGA players. He demands that players get the rights to their own videos, which doesn't happen in any sport. But Phil says it does, and we should have it too. There is no two. Nobody else has this. Phil has... Screamed about how the PGA Tour, where he made his life's earnings, has cheated players, and he's been very, very loud, outspoken, and adamant about this. And his professional career has won almost one hundred million dollars on the course alone on the
2: PGA Tour. And in his heyday, was in the you know in the three, five to six mil every year on the
1: PGA Tour because there is no other tour. So he's been stumping for the Saudi Tour, maybe on a personal level because. He can't win on the PGA Tour regularly, can't hardly win at all, and he can make a lot of money there. And he's going to say to other players, if you leave the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour will be forced to come after us with more money than they ever have before. Believe me, they have the money. Is that the essence of it? Correct. That's the leverage argument that they're a nonprofit
2: that is a stockpile of hundreds
1: of millions of dollars that they're just holding on to. He says they just hoard money. That's all they do is hoard money. Unimaginable greed. So he goes out. Right. Those are his words. So he goes out to Stump for the Saudi Golf Tour, which is a tour that will be worldwide, some in America, some in Europe, some in Saudi Arabia, some in other places. Okay. He wants to attract big-name people to go to the Saudi tour. There's money in it for him if he does that. He has an interview where he says to a writer, uh, Alan Shipnuck. Shipnuck, correct. Alan Shipnuck, who is apparently writing an unauthorized biography of Phil. And Phil talks to him. This is insane. Seeks him out. This is insane. When someone is writing an unauthorized biography of you, it's not going to represent your best interests. It's not. <laughs> Particularly when you have the past of what Phil Mickelson. It's not. He's the last person on earth anyone talks to with a brain. Phil, devoid of brains. I think there's a line that um, Kendrick Perkins used once about... Kyrie Irving said, if you put a hummingbird's brain in his head, he'd fly backwards till he killed himself. Okay. So, to be fair,
2: Phil will talk to anybody as as they talk about his nickname on tour, Fig Jam. F, I'm good.
1: Just yeah, ask me. Yeah. 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 Um, Phil will talk. He says some outrageous, outlandish things about the Saudis. There's some scary... To Shipnock. He says they kill people. Well... Other players in the interim looking at Phil and thinking he's lost his mind and saying he does not represent us. A lot of people on the fence on the Saudi tour, and by a lot I mean Brandon uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson, big American stars said, we're going to stay with the tour. Rory said up front for a long time, we're going to stay with the tour. Rory's got a financial interest in the tour, but he's staying with the tour. Jordan Spieth's staying with the tour. Justin Thomas staying with the tour. John Rahm. Staying with the tour. Colin Morikawa is staying with the tour. The second half of those players, for now. For now. They always said, as long as the best players in the world play here. That's right. If the best players in the world go with the Saudis because the Saudis make an, an attractive warfare that can't be turned down, then they'll go too. Okay. But for now, for this year, the Saudi tour is dead. And Rory came out. And Rory has acted as sort of a conscience of the PGA Tour for the last four or five years as his game has deteriorated, but his stature has risen. He slammed Phil. He said, this is ignorant. This is arrogant. This is sad. And Phil should just go home and think about what he's doing. And Phil Mickelson yesterday issued an apology, a long apology, in which he said, I'm totally wrong. I can't believe I've done this. I apologize. apologize. It was very strategic, too. He was trying to save his own monetary circumstance because he apologized to the Saudis and he apologized to his sponsors. And one of them, his longtime sponsor, KMPG, dropped him. They just dropped him yesterday. Feels toxic at the moment. This is what happened to Aaron Rodgers when he invented, you know, that he was immunized from COVID. He invented that. And he took a big hit personally. Phil is in the process of taking a big hit personally. And With he said, Phil's apology, i going to go away it would, for It would have been a great time
2: to use the the GIF of him after hitting his tee shot at uh oh God, the Mimernick at a uh, Wingfoot. Yeah, what he, what he hands oh. on the head. What an idiot I am. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so what? Getting out of a trash can. So he's going to take a break. The strategy in this is you take a break and you say I've I've gone through counseling. I understand what I've done. Please welcome me back. I won't do this. That's that's the, the next step for Phil is that. But what do you make of well, this, it, Michael? And, and this is a huge story. And that starts with his idea about the, the sort of the pressures
2: that he's carried for the last 10 or 15 years from a player in his position. And somebody who has probably had to deal with that from a very young age, as you think about him winning as an amateur and then sort of the pressures through the early Tiger era. Uh So you talk about how long he's able to have his candle flame burning. He has not been competitive on the tour in about five years, which includes one of the most historic and important major wins of all time. So you think about a player of that stature who's trying to create this splinter cell. And again, you're talking about a win that's going to be part of PGA Tour history forever and probably more elevated than every one of his other major wins. Yes, 51. 51. it, and it's it's right there in terms of importance with his Masters which with has that iconic jump, which again I think the Masters was able to license six inches off use, the ground. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, no, this is a guy who has a very um, checkered past, and much of it has been hidden from the public eyes. And he has always been the player's champ. I I was thinking about this because Claude Jennings had inter- had an interview with Bones Mackay, who was Phil's longtime caddy, and uh, I I relayed the story to to Claude about having met phil mickelson behind the ropes i believe it was at the 2000 president's um, cup president's cup mm-hmm. where he he sort of pulled me behind hit some low spinners with a lob wedge and gave me a pro v1 and it was just it was a it was a magician's trick and i was in awe and i think bones just remembered me being a starstruck little kid who who was frozen like a block of ice which of course i was um, but he's always had that flair for the dramatic he's he has been that 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 people's champion i people like him. him he was a natural foil against Phil Mickelson. He had that Arnold Palmer, I'll play it from anywhere, I'll play with the bravado, and people rooted for that. And for something like this, he has skated for years because casual golf fans did not necessarily know when he had the rules issue at Shinnecock, which was just the bubbling over of 25 years of ill will towards the entity of the United States Golf Association. A lot of casual fans were like, sure, I do that. That that does not necessarily meet the sort of humanitarian consciousness of this as to what he was willing to do or the cavalier way he was talking about it freely um but you look back many many years ago when he switched from Titleist to Callaway there were all the rumors that one company was willing to just absolve all of his gambling debts this did not go away when he was accused of insider trading (laughs) as he continues to try and say that he's always one step ahead of this and the he also doesn't believe in
1: paying taxes
2: the sad truth about this is when he talks about trying to gain leverage on the tour whether or not this Saudi league actually came to fruition, he was on the way to doing so. He's right. In terms right. of player impact money. His position money is right. Was a new, was a new creation. Uh, the money that they were pouring into the FedEx Cup, that was all you know growing so quickly because of some of what he was willing to do. So I don't know how he's going to move past this. I think he's probably looking long range as to, you always talk about TV. Yeah. How many years does he have to sort of... This, this sort of seems like a voluntary, you know, quote-unquote suspension. I like, think that's exactly when, what when it DJ is. DJ took time away from the game for personal reasons. And then you think of a guy who's 50, 50, 51, maybe in a couple of years, he will be free of this to, to be on, on TV. He's great on TV. But yeah, you also looked at the possibility, Ryder Cup, uh, Ryder Captain Cup C. captaincy when it comes to Beth Page Black. Do you remember all the cheers for Phil um, at
1: the, Beloved 2000, in New York. the 2001 uh, US Open? So it's a remarkable, to me, it's a remarkable story because the people involved, this, this is honestly like if LeBron James got into a spitting match now of, of real consequence with Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's what it would be. And you go, whoa, what is going on here? Rory McElroy, I believe, has more majors than any active player, right? Or is he tied? Does he have four or five? he had four or five? It might be, if
2: he's at four, it'd be him in in Brooks, right? Yeah.
1: So Rory McIlroy is a huge star and somebody who has accomplished a lot that being, in essence, the conscience of a tour that is mostly based in America, and he's not from America. He's from Northern Ireland, and he didn't even go to school. He's really smart, and it's without formal education, and he's taking on an icon in the game. Who has seven majors. It's just a remarkable story. I think it gets underplayed because it's golf. I yeah, do. Yeah. And it's a, it's
2: a very insider. You know, you'd call it like Twitter golf story because it's not just the guys who are showing up, you know, for their two ten, uh, tea time with their buddies and a bucket of beers in the cooler. Yeah. It, this is a little bit bigger than that. And for Rory, you're looking at a player for for whom this tour should appeal to him a great deal because he's an international player. Yes, and you heard Adam Scott. He's, Scott's he's, book. he's Adam made Fels for the Saudi saying, tour. Like, it's actually very appealing to have a shorter schedule, a schedule that's not with only, more money. That's not only dominated here. Like, that gives you chances to do other things, which
1: Rory has sort of. It's the American players that they want because they know they can get – the non-American players, it's the American players that they want, and those are resisting at the moment. Well,
2: if, if you think about an A B C D model, you you have a lot of B C D interest, and those are those are the players that could fill out your twenty-person league. You need an A name up there. You need to right. you, you really want Justin Johnson
1: or Bryson DeChambeau Bryson, would have been yeah. there.
2: And DJ, you could have spun it just be t- just in terms of how long he's been at the top of the rankings and sort of how much money and and how much Rom is an A name, yeah, because Rom's the best
1: player in the world. Yes. Rom's an A name, and Rom's not going at the moment. At the moment. All right, we will take a break when we come back. Richard Justice will sort of look historically at all of these strikes and lockouts and, and maybe tell us where we're going. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the X Chair Read. From the first moment you sit in an X Chair, your body will immediately say, Ah, I hope I said that right. <laughs> So this is what a real How office chair is supposed to feel like. <laughs> ah, Can your current office chair give you massage while you're working? I doubt it. X-chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? I doubt it. X-chair can. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X-chair in which I sit right now. And once you feel the customized support of X-chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, not lumber, lumbar, the DVL, Your back will never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all reasons to love the X-chair. So try X-chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. And once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. Go to xchairtony.com now. That's the letter X, chair, T-O-N-Y.com. Or call 1-844-4-X-chair for $100 off your order. Xchair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. XchairTony.com. Don't be a dope. Use the code. You're listening to
2: The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony
1: Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Mark Kajowski in Fort Salonga, New York, who writes... Greetings from Suffolk County, about 14 miles from the home of the detested Stony Brook University, <laughs> home of the cowardly Seawolves who swam, ran from the American Conference. Anyway, a dear friend and fellow local lawyer who performs under the name Chris St. John just released an album which included two songs with topics that might interest you. The first about the detriments of technology in our crazy new world called Hey Siri, and the second about a father and son relationship called Fly Away, which he wrote when his son John left home to attend Hofstra. We will talk more about this note from Mark Kajowski. But this by Chris St. John is Hey Siri. And that would be something I would do. Scream Siri and then representative. So that's all I can do. He it plays in Richard Justice. Richie has covered baseball for decades. And you've covered the strikes and you've covered the lockouts. And you know the relationship between the players and the owners. We had talked to Jeff Passon about this the other day. He was not optimistic at all. Um how does this one feel to you compared to the other work stoppages or threatened work stoppages that you had covered in your life?
5: Well, this one harkens back to the good old days of 75 and 84, when eight work stoppages when the two sides couldn't even stand to be in the same room with each other. I thought we'd gotten past this. The last four labor agreements have been extended, no pain Um 20 years, 20 years and it's been uh, it's now been uh, 1995 since there was a work stoppage and they were working together and it, 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 in the, you know in some of these there wasn't even 2002 got close. some players had to fly in they still remembered the pain, the, the, the damage the sport suffered in the 94-95 cancellation of the World Series, all of that stuff. And Tom Glavin, in particular, I remember, just came into in the meeting and said, we can't, we can't have this. You know, if this, is, this can't break down over any of these issues, we've done too much damage to the sport. And I think one of the things Jeff Passon has told you is um, all the institutional knowledge from those days, it, gone. It, on, probably on both sides, is gone. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and now we're sort of at ground zero. This, always before, and this is what is maybe more dire than any of the other times. And the other eight times, the eight times there was a work stoppage, um, the owners collapsed at the end. The players knew, and Marvin Miller would sometimes be brought in. Don Fairwood would bring Don Marvin Miller in to, to, to give a pep talk and explain the history of labor relations and all of that in baseball. Um, but the players would hang together, and the owners would crumble every time. And uh, what you see this time is, The players are very unified, and the one thing Bud Selig did in 2002 is he succeeded in getting the owners to speak with one voice, and now both sides appear to be dug in. You know, I mean, they've met a bunch of times. They're meeting again today. There hasn't really been anything approaching negotiations. You know, the owners say that revenue sharing, competitive balance tax, and the years to free agency are non starters. The players say those are the things we have to have we have to have some conference some change there to get back to get the salary. The average salary is going down. Revenues are going up. Obviously what changed since 2016 that the Tony, the labor negotiations were so smooth. They were the players wanted things like a chef in a clubhouse. Uh, they wanted day games on getaway day, just small things. What they didn't anticipate was the owners would say, would figure it out. This is, when you bring the analysts into the game, they said, we're going to go younger. The average position player is a year younger uh, since then. And you see Juan Soto comes right to the major leagues. Ronald Acuna Jr. comes to the major leagues. And what do you get there? You get production, and you get you don't have to pay them any money. I, 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 Tyler Kepner of the New York Times pointed out that Pete Alonso's has made more money by winning the home run derby twice than three full seasons in the major leagues. Now, is that Right. And to change that, there has to be a fundamental uh, adjustment in the way players are compensated. And so far, the owners have said, "Nope, we're not doing
1: it." Yeah, if you if you're, they can hold you for six years. Those are very productive right. years for great players. Well, let let who in general, in your opinion, over uh, the history of your coverage, and also looking at right now, in general, who wants baseball more—the players or the owners?
5: You know, I think the players want it more. I think you have owners. Remember when Mark Cuban was trying to buy, he at various times tried to buy both the Pirates and the Dodgers. And in one of the negotiations, he said, damn, I wanted to buy a baseball team. It turned out this is not a baseball team. This is a media rights deal. And I think the owners, more and more, you get owners with Wall Street backgrounds that take a very long view. If we've got to lose... If we if we lose games, big deal. We got to take the long view. If we have to lose a hundred games four years in a row and all our fans go away, we're building towards something that was never the case in the past. That, that owners were competitive as hell, and I think you just you have a mm-hmm. different viewpoint. Owners have. I don't mean Bill Dewitt of the Cardinals or Jerry Reinsor for the White Sox. I'm not talking about those guys. But there is a a generational change in ownership that, as said, you know, it is a bottom-line business.
1: You mentioned Bud Selig. He had success in keeping baseball on the field. He was an owner, and he became a commissioner. And it always looked like he was friendly with players. I mean, Henry Aaron and he were best friends. Rob Manfred is new to this. Where does Rob Manfred stand with the players compared to previous commissioners?
5: He's the bo- You know, in some of these deals, and I think if I'm an owner, I saw there was videotape yesterday of Max Scherzer with a group of players around, and Max was talking with his arms and, and gesturing. Mm-hmm. It, it looked very much like a pep rally. You need a boogeyman in negotiations. And for the players, Rob Manfred is that boogeyman. They don't feel he's honest with them. I, I'm not say- I'm not saying that's true. They don't feel he's honest. And the players on the player side, they feel like bringing in Bruce Meyer as the lead labor negotiator from the NBA, that he is just in a no mode. He is saying no to everything. And what do you have in this? So now you have both sides dug in. The the players, I don't trust you. I don't trust anything you say. On the same side, the owners are saying, you don't even want to negotiate. And I, I do think we were always, and this happened every time, but again, it was the owners collapsing every other time everything that needs to get done is going to get done when there's a real serious threat of losing regular season games the owners have said that's next monday but i think the players are skeptical of that it's going to come down to the last minute and who's going to blink and no one has come close to blinking yet
1: well i'm sure that victory is 162 games what is defeat what is defeat? No, I mean, we, we've lived with, with because of COVID, we've had lots of seasons in lots of sports other than the NFL that have been shortened and changed and moved around. So what is defeat, Richie?
5: Well, I think defeat is is less than 162 games.
1: Even if so it's 150? I, it?
5: I understand there's all this people, right? Just figure it out. Divide up the money. That's fine, except... What is fair for both sides? The, the the players have very legitimate compliance. That the the average salary, which always went up, went up it's for years down. has gone down. And that younger players the you have younger they want the players to get more money, a bigger share of the money, just what the players want and in the first half of their careers because teams now, the smart teams are not going to give a ten year or a seven year contract to a twenty nine year old because the data shows your peak performance, year, on average, is 27 years old. This why not is, take advantage of that? I'll just interrupt for a second.
1: Much? This is Freddie Freeman. He's 32 years old. He wants a six-year right. deal. And what the Braves will say to him is, Albert Pujols, Chris Davis, Ryan Howard, Miggy Cabrera, right. we're not giving it to you. Freddie yeah, Freeman's a, a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. Right? Right. But
5: I, I would say the other side of that is, they're has to be what what the, the the smartest teams are doing is they look at a player a Freddie Freeman and go we're not going to pay you for what you did in the past we're going to pay you for what we we project you to do in the future so when the Angels signed Albert Pujols to 10-year deal was 29 or 30 they had to know that they were going to have five bad years but there were some five bad years at the end but they had to know there was some value in signing him and in maybe winning a World Series or winning two World Series, that changes, that changes the narrative. You make it up in tickets and sponsorships and all that, even though on paper it's a bad deal. I'd say Freddie Freeman, if he signs with the Braves, there is so much goodwill in the community there for that guy and what he's done helping them win a World Series. That yeah. That's an occasion like you can justify doing that. But, you know, you know, but if you do it, you know that the data says the numbers, the production is going to go way down and you're going to end up eating a big portion of the contract.
1: Um, What is the date, Richard, for opening day where you say, that's good, I'll live with that? For you, what do you think that date is?
5: You mean the, the, the date to the, get the players into spring yeah. training or to,
1: no. to open the season? Open the season. Um.
5: Uh, Man, if you lose games, if you lose even one day of games, it looks terrible. It's a terrible look. But look, what do we see in the summer of 2020? The country was in a pandemic. The country was desperate for live sports. We were all watching, you know, the NBA finals from 1989 again and all of that. And they just dug their heels in and says, "We don't, we don't care. We don't care. We we have to have either side could have said, you know, for the good of the country, you know, like FDR and World War II and all of that. We we could have." For the good of the country, we could have got on the field and played and set our differences aside, and both sides basically said, "Screw you! We're gonna we're gonna get what we want, or we're gonna get nothing at all." And I think in that case, you had a bunch of owners that said, we're gonna lose our shirts e- e- either way, so we won't yeah. play at all. It was a bad look. And look, Rob Manfred is an easy guy because he's in the middle. But look at what he's doing. He's trying to corral, negotiate with the players, and corral a bunch of different billionaires that have different agendas and have different views of the world. Like if you take the Yankees ownership, Red Sox, Giants, Dodgers, they just want to play. They just want to get on the field and play. But if you're the Tampa Bay Rays, you're saying, well, we're losing. You know, we're not, we're not, it doesn't matter that much. And what the players are saying in the terms of the revenue sharing, which the owners have said, we're not negotiating that with you. But the Tampa Bay Rays, the Miami Marlins say, we're we're making a profit, whether we win or not, whether we spend a nickel on a player how is, you know how does that help the sport
1: it's interesting in this regard a lot of people will say why not just play less than 162 games and here is the reason and I'll let Richard speak to this too baseball is the only sport where the statistics matter over a long period of time nobody knows who leads the league in the NBA in points and how many per game they get and nobody cares it doesn't matter the numbers matter in baseball, right, Richard? That's why you've got to keep 162 or something very close to 162. You can't go to 120.
5: No, and, yeah, it doesn't matter. You take the, you take the, the meaning for fans. A lot of fans, you take the meaning out, out, of, the se- out of the season. And, uh, and, and let me just point out this. This is about money. And eventually, eventually, they will come to an agreement. And as many have pointed out, the aesthetics the things that are wrong with the sport the fact that um in 2011 in 2011 you had 39 pitchers that threw 200 innings last year you had four the game times were 311 a world record the average between action in the game almost 4 minutes now none of those things are being addressed and and you have people on both sides saying, we don't have a problem, even though the World Series TV ratings are an annual embarrassment, all of that. So even after the economics are settled, there's a lot of work to do yeah. in terms yeah. of getting the sport back in the consciousness. It, it, it's, you, know, you and I know it's never going to be what it once was, mm. but it could be improved. The, the pace of the play, it's too slow.
1: Thank you, Richard. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank Get you. Justice, thank you, boys and me. girls. We'll take a break. When we come back, Jay Billis will join us to talk about, well, talk about Juwan Howard to begin with, but then we'll talk about Duke, you know, because that's where he went. And I sort of the coach that he had and the coach who was there for 10,000 years is leaving. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. One more time, this is Chris St. John, and this is sent to us by Mark uh, Kajowski. And he says, like you and Michael, I worked with my dad. We practiced law together for over 17 years before he recently retired after a brilliant career. I miss working with him tremendously. It wasn't without its downsides, however. One morning we were in a crowded hallway in the state Supreme Court building when he accidentally shouted my childhood nickname to get my attention. Later that week, I appeared before a judge in that building and from the bench was told with a smile, Your objection is sustained, Sparkler. <laughs> That's funny. Joy working with Michael. It's the best, and it goes quickly. Michael, if people like Mark Kajowski want to send in music from their friends like Chris St. John, how do they do it? Please send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. Jay Billis joins us now. We have to – I want to talk about Mike Krzyzewski retiring and Jay's memories of Mike, but I, I don't think you can do college basketball right now if you don't start with what happened with Juwan Howard. And how are you with the suspension, and how are you with the fact that the coach – of wisconsin got a reprimand and a fine but not any suspension
0: i thought it was all within the realm of of reason tony it was, there, there were reasonable punishments uh, and there, there's always a range with those things so if juan howard uh, received you know two games and a lesser fine it wouldn't have bothered me at all uh same thing with greg Gard. if it had been more i wouldn't have been concerned if it had been a little bit less i mean i i felt that I felt that there were differing levels of culpability in, in the fracas. Um, but, but no one was blameless, if that makes sense. So, so I didn't think Greg guard acted appropriately and John Howard acted, you know, horribly inappropriately by taking a swing at another, another coach, Joe Krabenhoff. Uh, I, you know, I watched it live and I thought you big babies, like just shake, just shake hands and move on. And, You know, so many, so many coaches after they lose, after they win. You know, it seems like so many guys they they want to stop and talk after they win. They want to give you the wet fish handshake and move on after they lose. And and we use excuses like, uh, well, you know, I'm competitive, um, to rationalize sort of bad behavior. And the competition was over. And the real competitors compete. You know, if somebody gets heated during a competition, I I get it. But the game was over. And uh, so I, I was disappointed in the whole thing. But uh, the one thing I'm left with, though, is when you suspend a coach for a long period of time, you know, the, the remainder of the regular season, the ones who really get screwed are the players. And and it, it's amazing how, you know, the NCAA, it's, it's always the players that wind up getting screwed. And and I know it's the Big Ten, but they're part of the NCAA machinery. And they're trying to send, you know, these, these messages and all that stuff. Just fine them an incredible amount of money. And don't, you know, don't screw the players. I mean, that's always bothered me.
1: It's interesting. I I had not thought of that. I agree with you. Spare me people saying I'm competitive. Spare me athletes saying I'm passionate. What is Shut up. (laughs) Um, The the complete overreaction to me is uh, people calling for the end of the handshake line, which I think is lovely in all sports when it happens. What do you think? I mean, I'm calling for better behavior, not the end of the handshake line.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 the same way. I, I, I the handshake line should not uh, end because of of two guys that couldn't you know <laughs> couldn't act like adults. Um, and and you know th- there have been past incidents, um, very few of them, where I've heard the same thing. I'm not a fan of the handshake line, and, and but it's for a vastly different reason. Um, we never did that when I played. When when you sought out your counterpart and shook hands and spent a moment after a game, it had I felt it had real meaning. Um, I, I've always called this thing the Little League handshake line because it reminds me of Little League where you know you said two four six eight who do you appreciate and then yeah, you high five yeah. the other team. Yeah. And and it's it's great for little kids, but you don't see that in the end. Like in the NFL or the NBA, when a game ends. Uh, they don't do that. They go to one another, you know, that like the two quarterbacks get together. Obviously the coaches get together and sometimes it's a, it's a hug and sometimes it's a, it's a blow by, but, right. but so that's the mandate. The coaches are there like the mandatory handshake that everybody expects. But when the, when the, you know, the lineman and the defensive line, the offensive lineman, defensive lineman get together or something like that. Those are the ones that I think have real meaning, but, but I'm not calling for the end of the handshake line. I just, I preferred it the, the other way.
1: Yeah. i you're right about that. It always it's beautiful in after certain games to see counterparts hug and exchange pleasantries even when it's been a tough game. Let me move on to Mike Shishkevsky. He's he's quitting. This is his last year. You played for him. And it's a long time ago. Mike's been at Duke for an awfully long time. My first question is are you surprised that he's leaving and I think sort of the media question is what did you see in him when he recruited you? You're a California kid. You went all the way across the country to play in North Carolina. What did you see in him and you couldn't have seen this or maybe you did?
0: I, did, I didn't see this. I don't, I don't see how anybody could wrap their head around this. yeah um, so I, as you know, I grew up in Los Angeles and, and grew up in a time where John Wooden was was everything and so I, you know I grew up a UCLA fan and wanting to play there. And I had a, I had a really bad experience with my high school coach. Um, To the point, like we had a great high school team with really close players. So we're, we're all great friends to this day. We played together from fourth grade all the way through high school. But I think to a, to a player, our experience with our high school coach was miserable. And when I was being recruited, the the at the forefront of my mind was I'm not playing for a coach I don't like. That is not going to happen. I don't care where I go to school. I'm I'm picking the coach I like best. And and honestly, Tony, it came down to four guys. It came down to Coach K at Duke, who I had never heard of before he called me, and uh, Lute Olson, who was at Iowa at the time, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, and then Ted Owens at Kansas. So none of those none of those destinations seem to make any any sense when you, you put them together, especially back then. Uh, but the the truth is, like I just I loved Lou Dolson, and my mom was going to Iowa, whether wherever I went, she was going to Iowa. She she melted when he walked in the house. Um, yeah, so so she was she was going to be a Hawkeye, but uh, but I liked Coach K the best, and I can't really put my finger on it, but I trusted him. And and at the end, I was like, it's him. He's the one. I, I want to play for him. Uh, and at the time, it, it, it you know, people negatively recruited against Duke saying, you know what? They're, they're, somebody called my mom one time. You know, this was back in the rotary phone days. And, you know, there was no caller ID or anything. So at night, the phone rang like crazy. And my parents' generation, when the phone rang, you answered it because somebody could be in an accident on the highway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: you know, my mom always, every time there was a siren, now, somebody could be in an accident. I don't know where that came from. but. Um, so she answered the phone, and somebody somebody said, uh, Mrs. Billis, have you ever heard of Appalachian State? And she said, no. And he said, well, they just beat Duke last night. And that, you, you, your son is thinking about going there, and he's, that coach isn't going to be there much longer. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, when Coach K called later on, I don't think it was the same night, but when he called later on, my mom said, and my mom knew nothing about sports. And she said, I'm a little bit worried about your program. And Coach Day responded, "Well, Mrs. Billis, I'm worried about it too. That's why I'm recruiting your son." And uh, and so we we all like we all really liked him. And uh, and I, I just I don't know I just knew. And uh, if that makes sense, like I would have loved playing for Lute Olson up until his death. We were great friends. Um, I love Jim Bayheim. I, I revered Ted Owens, but uh, but he was the guy.
1: Nobody could have seen this coming. I mean, I knew Mike when he was coaching at at West Point. He's, you know, on anybody's list, he's one of the one, two, three, or four greatest college basketball coaches of all time on on everybody's list. He's been there forever. He was in trouble. Your recruiting class may very well have saved him because you guys were his first Final Four team. Am I right on that? You were his first Final Four team.
0: Uh, Tony, we were his first everything. Um, My first NCAA tournament game was his first. We had the exact same experience level in the NCAA tournament. So we were his first ACC championship team, his first Final Four team, his first number one team, all that stuff. So, you know, first time we we won uh, uh, any sort of championship was was that team. So that was kind of – Pat Riley used to call that the innocent climb. So, you know, we won 37 games our senior year. And at that time, that was the most ever won by any team in a, in a single season. It was a record up until Kentucky broke it in uh, 2012. They won 38. And there was, there was thought that, you know, hey, enjoy this season. There might never be another one. And he had two other 37-win teams and, you know, won five championships, had you know, 12 Final Fours, all this. I mean, who could have fathomed that? No. I don't, I'm not even sure he no. could have.
1: Are you surprised he's leaving now?
0: No, because he's seventy-five. I mean, intellectually, I'm not surprised. But um, you know, it, it, over the years, I mean, you've you probably asked the question or contemplated it yourself over the years. I, I'd be asked by friends of mine or others, "How much longer do you think?" And yeah. Yeah. and every once in a while, I'd, I'd say five years, and then five years later, I'd say five years. You know, it, it 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 was hard to wrap your head around how how energetic he was. Like that's to me, that's the most impressive thing about him is that. You know, as most people age and I can feel it myself, um, you you kind of sometimes your enthusiasm for for the things you do over and over again can wane for for the day-to-day grind of it and and I, I really believe this to be true. I don't think his his enthusiasm for the day-to-day grind of coaching uh, has has ever waned. Um, he, he might not have the same energy level, like maybe he takes a nap now and then, but like I, I don't know how other other guys that that know him well feel, but I can tell when he's not sleeping, and you know he he doesn't sleep during the season. And and I was talking with an old teammate of mine. You know, we were laughing, going, you know, saying how much different than the off-season Coach K is from the in-season Coach K. Like he's so locked into everything during the season, um, and then the off-season, like he's a he's a nightclub comic. Um, you know, so, so relaxed and and all that. So so you know now we're going to get the off season Coach K all the time, uh, and and so that that's uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Not that the end of the season Coach K is bad, but it's like you know he's like a general that's going to battle uh, all the time and and uh, and locked into everything. So I think I think having him relaxed all the time. Uh, will be really fun for him yeah. i 'm kind of excited about the next chapter for him because i don 't think he's gonna, he 's going to he doesn 't play golf sadly but uh, but he 's going to do some some really cool things i think
1: it 's not a fanciful analogy. he went to West Point i mean so he would approach life with that militaristic attitude i 'm sure i mean i 've known him a long time. How are you with John Shire getting the job that 's an appointment in the way that Dean Smith appointed Bill Guthridge? And Bill Guthridge went to some Final Fours, if I'm not mistaken. Um, How are you with John Shire going from one seat and moving one over and getting that seat when there are other people in the Coach K chain that might have been considered as well?
0: I think the university could have made a number of choices that would have been great. I really believe that. I think John is is a great choice. He is uh, he is technically skilled, like he knows the game like crazy. Uh, he is he's got a wonderful demeanor, and he relates to people really well. He's already recruited um, at the highest level. Like he's got it's either four McDonald's All-Americans. Uh, there are five that are top fifty players, and four of them I believe are McDonald's All-Americans. And, and the fifth one would have been, but it was because of a reclassification. It was like a technical issue why he wasn't. Um, but, but he's recruited extraordinarily well. Um, and I think he's going to do a great job. You know, the, the truth is we, we don't know what the results are going to be with anyone uh, in, in any given job. But, but I'm, I'm supremely confident in, in John. And, uh, it, but, but I would have been had the choice been different because there, there are other choices that would have been uh, just as good. But but I, I can't tell you that I think something would have been uh, been better than John. I, I I don't believe that.
1: Okay. Thank you, Jay. Are you going to be on PTI later this week? Do I have that correct? Are we trying to get you?
0: Uh, I will be on any time you ask. I mean, I'm, I'm jonesing to get on PTI. Okay, I've, good. I've always got five minutes to spare. Only five. Yeah. <laughs> no,
1: only five. It's only one. All we want, all we we want is five my, good I ones. Saved
0: my five. I save my five best minutes every week for you. you either you it or you don't. It's up to you.
1: <laughs> thank you. Jay Billis, boys and girls, thank you, thank you, thank you. We will uh, pause, and when we come back, email and jingle. I am Tony Kornheiser.
5: You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. He's got
4: your emails and your notes. the mailbag yeah it's a mailbag if you drive a car no car.
3: subaru
4: if you try to fast, smell that won't do. if you went to camp he bag. might pick you if you send free stuff you'll
3: get right through
1: <laughs> mail thank you sean that's lovely that's lovely love that song Nigel, Bethesda Bagels.
4: Yes, thank you, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the
1: D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let's do this. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about a science book. Don't know much about the French I took. But I do know that I love you, and I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. This was originally sung by Sam Cooke. It was covered, if you get the chance to hear the cover, by Art Garfunkel. It's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Thanks to our guests today, Richard Justice and Jay Billis. Thanks to our sponsor, X-Chair. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or to see if you get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. we got a lot of stuff on Northfield Mount Hermon when Michael... Before, before revealed, we get to
2: Northfield is, Mount Hermon, huge shout-out to Scott from Elon for the direct connection to Chef Sasha, Sasha Felixen from Foxtrot.
1: Ooh. Oh, good, good, good. Oh, so yeah, that's, that's some grocery, store, grocery that,
2: store that's just out of my delivery area but maybe
1: maybe they'll deliver to you and, and a certain relation of mine may have a house account there from lee gordon in west <laughs> hartford connecticut sharing. and boynton beach florida when you read the email from the great bill isaacson about his wife's high school alma mater northfield mount herman i said i know that school in fact i graduated from there two years after frank shorter and 15 years before buster Olney. i first heard natalie cole sing at our winter carnival nine years before she had her first hit record But Bill's list of distinguished alumni merely scratched the surface. Lee DeForest, the inventor of the vacuum tube, went there, as did DeWitt Wallace, the founder of Reader's Digest. The co-founder of Friendly's, Presley Blake, who lived to the ripe old age of 106, graduated in 1934. Poet Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who also made it past 100, graduated three years later. David Hartman was a grad as was my classmate Will Ackerman, the founder of Windham Hill Records and a pioneer of New Age music. Not only did President Obama's senior advisor Valerie Jarrett go to NMH, she was a classmate of Michael's mother-in-law. That's so? Yes? And they were both around at the same time as the daughters of the late Sidney Poitier. And besides Uma Thurman, actresses Elizabeth Perkins and Laura Linney attended as well. Wow. Come to think of it, I appear to be in contention for the honor of being the school's least distinguished <laughs> graduate of all time. So, have that going for you. Another email I wrote nice. in a PS about the famous people who came from Peoria, but missed the opportunity to mention one who matriculated there Charlie Steiner at Bradley University. From Judy Zierich in Malibu, California, the person to whom I'm related by marriage had a David Aldridge moment while listening to the mailbag on Friday's pod. You read an email which highlighted the famous graduates of Northfield Mount Hermon Prep School. At the end of the email, Michael said his mother-in-law, Moni Hardwick, attended NMH as well. Wait a minute, my husband said. I know that person. Moni Thomas was our class valedictorian, and after graduation, she attended Yale. My husband didn't know Michael's mother-in-law very well, but had a vague recollection of who she dated her senior year. I need more information. I found his recalled <laughs> events 50 years ago amazing, <laughs> considering my husband can't remember who we met last week. Thank you providing, for providing the connective tissue and the occasional cheesery you <laughs> provide every week. P.S. We'll be driving our RV to the East Coast this summer. Will parking be available on your street? You better <laughs> of course. find that out. From Tim Creek in Fort Collins, Colorado. Perry Mason's phone number was Madison five one one nine zero. Just so you know. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. From Shad, besides being a paperboy for the Detroit Free Press, my first official job was caddy at Oakland Hills Country Club. The order in which you were assigned a loop was determined by a lottery every morning at seven a.m. If you got a high number, you may have to wait until the afternoon before cadding. To dissuade us from leaving, if one had a long wait, we were told that the cops would be called. <laughs> I was eleven. I believed them. <laughs> On July 31, 1975, a buddy of mine and I both pulled high numbers, waited until the afternoon and made the decision to escape. Under a fence, serpentine around bushes and made it to a nearby bowling alley where we were typically called one of our parents to pick us up. Wearing Oakland Hills caddy shirts and carrying white towels, we stuck out like sore thumbs and we were scared. We went in a side entrance that was adjacent to the men's room. Alone, we washed up but heard a commotion in the bowling alley. We crouched on top of the toilets and held our breath. Cops came into the bathroom, shiny black shoes, black pants with a blue stripe on the side, and his baton swinging was all I could see. Five seconds later, they left. Commotion died down, and we sat dead still for the next five minutes. Called my mom. She was there in 20 minutes. We had the greatest story two semi-delinquent kids could possibly have. Cops came looking for us, and we tricked them. We didn't trick the cops because they weren't looking for us. The day before, less than 100 yards away from the bowling alley, was the Marcus's Red Fox restaurant where Jimmy Hoffa was last seen getting into a car. The police weren't looking for caddies shirking their work obligations. They were looking for Jimmy Hoffa. I sometimes still shrink work obligations, and they're still looking for Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, that Jimmy Hoffa. Shad, born and raised in Detroit, hometown of Miss Aretha Franklin and Miss Diana Ross. From Joe Shannon, yes, that Joe Shannon, in Catonsville, Maryland. 24, many of which hang with loose hinges, causing them not to close properly. <laughs> also one cabinet door missing a handle. Please send Carol over with a Phillips head. she take only about 15 <laughs> or 20 minutes. On another note, I have a high school senior still undecided. Pretty smart kid, or at least he tries. Definitely not a rum done. I'll leave a five spot on the counter. Thanks in advance. 24 <laughs> outlets. Stuart Cunningham, South Park, Pennsylvania. Well, it happened. My wife bought a Subaru. It's a used Subaru from 2019. She went from a Ford C Max Hybrid to a Subaru. How much of a snob does that make her? Does that make her a low-level snob because she got a new-to-me Subaru? Subaru, are there snob rankings? What's the next step? She's on the way. Why not go all the way? Does this make me a snob by marriage? Should we get a Revolution toaster? Should I buy X-chairs? Go on Amazon, order some Louise Gluck? And finally, when do I get a text from Saliza welcoming us to the club? It's a lot of questions, Mr. Tony, but I'm new to this. I want to be the best pretentious schmo I can be. P.S. My kitchen only has 10 outlets. We really need to step up our game now that we're a Subaru family. We need the color and make of that Subaru for the Rich decision. from Reston. Why did Hot Pink Hangover break up? Don't you remember what Dell Paxton said in that thing you do? Ain't no way to keep a band together. Bands come and go. Sooner or later something makes you crazy. Money, women, the road. Man, just time. It's a good thing you and Wilbon aren't a band. Come Daniel in South Orange, New Jersey. I was simultaneously res- relieved and disappointed when I heard Michael describe how preschool has let the potty talk, such so as poop on your head. For the past several months, every other thing my four-year-old daughter tells me is that there is poopy on my head, which I have found concerning, but also strangely endearing. So I was relieved that my daughter was not the only one, but also somewhat sad at her lack of uniqueness. Her best use of this apparent t- classic toddler line was just the other night. As I was putting her to bed, after I read her a story, tucked her in, gave her a good night kiss, she grabbed my hand and said softly and sweetly, Dad, before we say goodnight, can I tell you something? And I replied, of course, what is it? And after a long pause, she then said, unbelievably sweetly. There's poopy on your hair. <laughs> One more from Stephen Wasserman. Hi, I was one of the equipment managers for said team, the 1972 Harper College soccer team. Also wrote for Pipe This was before the Division I nonsense. Remember, this team became attorneys, doctors, chiropractors, chemists, spies, professors, bankers, and one guy yelled Eureka when he looked at the telescope and his boss won a Nobel Prize. The team beat Hartwick, the number one ranked team in the country, 2-1 to in the greatest game I ever saw, in Oneonta on a miserable, rainy, sleety day. Also won two tournaments, SUNY Centers and ECAC postseason. The BU Athletic Hall of Fame, that's what they want again. They've started admitting teams. It would be a great honor if you could nominate the team. The guy at Binghamton is John Hartrick. By the way, I'm from Long Beach. I have incriminating photos of you playing ball for <laughs> GG Movers. <laughs> this is all true. GG Movers. Tony Peretta, GG Movers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stephen Washman, B.A., M.B.A., JD, C.P.A. Yeah, Mom was proud. <laughs> Got yeah, to a good everyone. As always, do wear white.
3: Hola, Hola, nosotros somos Pineapple, Pineapple Landscaping y, y escuchamos, escuchamos el show de Tony Kornheiser, Kornheiser. Said, pero este, este show apesta. Grew up in a small town, we go out to play, the dinner bell rang on our way. We had no cell phones, no social media too. No emails, no texting, face-to-face me and you. Series unavailable, Alexa won't stop talking. Text and email's coming, our children text for talking. Can't remember my passwords, days run like a river. My phone is is a sword. It cuts both ways. Now we have no free time and Facebook ruins our day. Wait to see who likes what I've got to say. Amazon has stolen our towns and main streets away. Series unavailable. Alexa won't stop talking. Text and email's coming. Our children text for talking. Can't remember my passwords. Days run like a My phone is like an organ, you'll kill me if you take it away. Twitter's like a lion that eats us like prey. We're a captive audience stuck inside our day. Me, I'm getting older, my hair, it's turning gray. Give me back my childhood, good old We're talking. didn't believe them before your eyes they'll be out the door we all wish they'd stay small forever they grow so slowly but they're gone so fast fly away I just held you I cannot believe it You're heading off To live on your own A million hours Tears, joy and laughter, laughter. I treasured it all The best years I've known Fly away You'll fly away, fly away, now you're flying away, no problem you'll face, will you face alone, I'll go to you, or you can come on home. just held you, I cannot believe it, live your dreams, let none take them away, you can be anyone when you fly away, fly away, you'll fly